And welcome back to the Back in Session podcast with your hosts, the Ryans. We don't even have individual names anymore. We just go straight yeah. for the Ryans. Just, just straight up the Ryans. Ryan squared. I feel, I feel like people, one of people, people get confused. I mean, we, we set up Zoom calls. And if I'm the one that had the initial conversation with somebody and I'm the one that sets it up and then you're the first one that gets on, they think you're me. They just so, assume it's me. Yeah. So yeah. just... Might as well lose our individual identities at this point and just go with the Ryans, R squared, whatever. Well, I hate to say this. I would much rather be me than you right now because Phillies are in the playoffs. Yankees are not. Eagles are 5-0 and as of this October 10th after a good win over the Rams this weekend. And what are the Giants now? So just to take a step back and, you know, this is a policy podcast. So won't get too much into the weeds. I think it's a straightforward question. I think you're dodging the question. Won't get too much into the weeds here on sports, even though we do like to, you know, have a little little bit of, have a little bit of talk, but um, our our listeners won't be able to see this, but I am wearing a New York Knicks uh, quarter zip. Because I, you know, after the Yankees were not going to make the playoffs, I thought to myself, wow, the New York Giants are, you know, it's football season, going to have something to root for with the Giants. And now the Giants are just not good at all. So now I'm on to the next sport. So don't even know what you're talking about. Um, Yeah, on to the next one. Uh, The one other thing I did need to clarify on our call with our interview with Katie, excuse me, the last episode, I made a statement that I think I said Pennsylvania was the snack food capital of the world or the mm-hmm. United States. I did fact check myself. It is. It's Hanover, Pennsylvania. There you go. That's right. Uh, so, and yeah, just, uh, just a big thank you again to our, to our loyal listeners. Um, all of you <laughs> that are out there do appreciate you tuning in and, and listening to what we have to say and what our, what our uh, guests have to say. Um so this, you know, this week we have Cody Bright from the Reform Alliance on to talk about all things criminal justice reform. Cody uh, is based in Pennsylvania, but covers a couple of states in the northeast part of the country. So we had a pretty good conversation with Cody earlier today to talk about criminal justice reform, in particular probation and parole, as well as his experience uh, with the Iowa caucuses it's from Iowa. Uh, his experience as a local elected official. Cody's sort of done a little bit of everything. Um, so, you know, I, I think we had a pretty good discussion. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I've, I've known Cody uh, for about five or six years now. I've worked with Cody. I've worked against Cody on races. I've seen him, you know, sort of grow professionally and also in his capacity as an elected official, which I know he's extremely, extremely passionate about um, his his own civil service. So it was definitely good to to learn more about reform. And he's always spoken so highly of his, his experience there and how much he enjoys it. But it was great to get to hear some of the more in-depth things that they're working on. Yeah, no, totally agree. And uh, for all our listeners, here is Cody Bright. Cody Bright, welcome to the Back in Session podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, before we get into, you know, what you do at the Reform Alliance and learn a little bit more about your background, why don't you just give us uh, some sports predictions? We always like to like to kick things off with something non-political. So I know you're a big uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan. Uh, so what's uh, what's your take on the divisional series? Well, the good news is um, I just saw a tweet, actually. I think it's like the last five times 
The Phillies have been in a playoff series. They've lost game two and they ended up winning the series. So I'm pretty encouraged by that. <clears throat> Last year, the Braves did the same thing to us, beat us in game two. And then we came back and won, you know, game three and four and moved on to the next round. So obviously I think we got the Phillies, we got Phillies Astros world series, us with revenge this time. Um, NFL. I mean, to be honest with you, I hate to say probably the 49ers. I'm not an Eagles guy, but you know, uh, I think the Niners going to win. Um, and then the Sixers this year, they're going to be terrible. Let's just be honest. They already, they already <laughs> got to a rough start. Um, you know, James Harden doesn't know if he wants to play or not, but, uh, and then my most underdog prediction, I know you didn't ask for all the sports, but I think college football, I'm saying the Penn state national championship this year to wow. win the Georgia Bulldogs. So yeah, that's a bold prediction. It is. That's what the show's all about, right? Yeah. Cody, I've always <laughs> been fascinated by how all over the map your sports fandom is. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I don't want to like bore people with it, but so I was born and raised in Iowa, but my dad's from Northeast Pennsylvania, he's from Scott Township. Um, and so he met my mom out in Pennsylvania, up in school and up in Northeast PA, and then he moved back uh, to Iowa. And so he brought his sports fandom with him and then taught me which teams to uh, to like and cheer for, which teams not to cheer for. So. Well, hopefully it pays off uh, with the Phillies victory this series. Oh, and, I if, can use it. and if you're right, Phillies Astros definitely pulling for you guys. Good. Yeah. Sorry about your Yankees, but uh, well, we can save that. What, 27 titles or whatever. It doesn't matter. We can save that for another uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, no, Cody. So uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit? Uh, we, we just learned you're from Iowa. Uh, but why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at now professionally with the Reform Alliance? Sure. Great. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was born and raised in Iowa. Um, two things Iowans are known for is picking corn and picking presidents. And so growing up, uh, I remember heading to church um, on a Sunday morning, there'd be Bobby Jindal or Mike Huckabee, you know, just for example, just presidential candidates sitting in the pew, uh, wanting to try and earn every single caucus vote they could. Um, you know, a lot of obviously that's what we're known for is the Iowa caucus, but, you know, candidates really start gearing up for that before two years before the election. So last year, in 2022, we already had candidates visiting Iowa and making their rounds. Um, but that's really what sort of got my interest into politics, to be honest with you. Um, my dad was a state trooper for 31 years, and he actually worked for uh, Governor Vilsack, who is the uh, now the agricultural secretary underneath President Biden. And he was also eight years underneath President Obama. So uh, he was on a security detail. So I would call my dad at night and he'd talk about how he met President Bush or was at the DNC convention, uh, things of that nature. So it really brought to life you know, the political aspect and wow, this is really fun and engaging. Uh, so that's something that I really couldn't escape. So that's what really uh, drew my interest to. I went to college, went to Liberty University, which is in Lynchburg, Virginia, got an undergraduate and graduate degree there on politics and policy. Um, and that's where I met my wife, Melissa. And then after uh, my graduate degree, we got married and uh, she was from New Jersey and I didn't want to move to New Jersey, uh, nothing against Jersey, but I just wasn't the, wasn't the move to New Jersey. Um, and the transition from Iowa to Philadelphia was enough. I don't know. Iowa to New Jersey probably would have been a little too much. Um, but, uh, after I moved up here, I worked on a, a couple of local races, state rep and state Senate races. Um, and then I moved over some to Delaware County council races in 19. And then in, um, 2020, I was actually able to run Tom Killian, who was a, a moderate Republican from uh, Delaware County he represented both Delco and Chesco. Uh, unfortunately my record for, um, races isn't that great, but I did work for some great people. And I guess that's what mattered. And then in 21, I thought I wanted to take a break. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm over this campaign stuff. These uh, 70, 80 hour work weeks are, you know, they're not that great. And so what I did is um, I worked at a, a local nonprofit, but I ran for township supervisor as well. Um, 
I beat a woman who had lived here for 27 and a half years, someone who was really involved in the community. But, you know, I knocked on about 1,100 doors, uh, raised about 14,000 and won by seven percentage points, which was like the largest victory head to head in a while in our township. Um, <clears throat> but then uh, after that, um, I got a call from Jake Corman, uh, the former president pro temp and state senator from uh, Center County. And uh, he asked me to be his political director. I thought it was a really good opportunity to ju jump back in. Uh, as you know, he raised like 3 million bucks within the first couple of months. And then, uh, things began to uh, not go in the, the best of directions. I think the writing was on the wall with the governor's race. And then I got a call from uh, the Dr. Oz campaign. And it was sort of funny, actually, there was a series at, at my church, we were in the middle of a series called The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, this is this is too funny. This has to be true. I have to go for it. How many times am I going to be able to say I worked for a celebrity doctor who was on TV all the time? So I became his state director uh, for 11 months. Uh, which is probably one of my most favorite jobs ever. The people I worked with were fantastic. Um, Dr. Oz himself was a great individual. And then afterwards, I uh, led me to Reform Alliance. I never thought I'd be advocating for criminal justice reform, uh, to be honest with you. But this is something that once I took uh, some time to research, it's something I think that more Republicans and more conservatives and just people in general really need to be advocating for. So I've been at Reform for about 11 months now. So really enjoying my time so far. Well, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. First thing that came to my mind uh, listening to you speak there, your last name's Bright. You ran uh, for local office. You won. What was your campaign slogan? I assume something about a bright future. <laughs> exactly. It was just like my my wedding hashtag. It was uh, um, vote bright for a brighter future or uh, brighter future. Yeah. So every, every time I went to door and they said, oh, what's your name? Cody Bright. Oh, I'll vote for you. I just like your last name. And then I had... Um, the opposite of I was standing at the poll and this little old lady walked up and she says, my dog's name's Cody. I'm going to vote for you. And so it was the first time <laughs> they'd rather vote for my first name because my other than my last name. But I, I know I feel like I was given this last name. I have to put it to you somehow. Right. There you go. Might as well. Yeah. And just just the other question, you know, uh, working on a, a pretty, pretty big Senate race last year here in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, big name. Um, so, that, I mean, Sure, you met a lot of good people, like you said, learned a lot. Uh, but I do have one one fun question for you. Um, <laughs> were were you the were you the one recording the crudite video? And no, did you I, did you know what crudite was before? <laughs> I, I didn't know what crudite was, and I did know who recorded it. And he's a good friend of mine, and he also recorded another infamous video from the twenty fourteen gubernatorial. I'm sorry, twenty eighteen gubernatorial race. So uh, his record of recording videos. Uh, you know, he could have 98% great, but those two videos were uh, drew a lot of attention. So we won't expose him on a podcast, though. No, but he's a great guy. Uh, so, Cody, can you give a little bit of background on reform, uh, the history of the organization and what specific policy or issue areas you cover? Obviously, you touched on criminal justice reform, but <laughs> a little more in depth there, if you could. Sure, absolutely. So Reform Alliance is a national nonprofit organization uh, focused on criminal justice, but specifically probation and parole reform. Uh, we've passed 17 bills in 11 states. Uh, most recently, we passed a bill in Illinois. Uh, the really unique thing about our organization is that we've passed bills in blue states, red states, purple states. Um, and we've actually helped 700,000 people exit the supervision system and get back adjusted into society. Um, a little bit about our founding. We were founded in uh, 2018, actually right here in uh, Pennsylvania, down in Philadelphia. I'm sure many people know the uh, rap artist Meek Mill. Uh, Meek Mill was on probation most of his adult life, and he was doing a uh, music video for one of his um, uh, for one of his upcoming songs. And he popped a wheelie 
which then led to a he then got violated by his judge for breaking his uh, conditions of his probation. And so the judge actually sentenced him to two to four years of incarceration. Um, the, the thing about Meek, and that's what led to the Free Meek Mill, Free Meek Mill movement and all those hashtags and um, social media um, outcries for justice. Uh, the thing is, is that there's so many Americans right now that don't have the fame, the money and the representation that Meek Mill has or had. Um, and so that's what um, actually led Mike Rubin, uh, former um, Sixers owner. Uh, he's a big philanthropist. Uh, he actually saw the criminal justice system up front and close and center. Is like, wait, people actually go back to jail for non-criminal violations. And so it really opened up um, his eyes. And he's been a huge, huge help <clears throat> uh, in help founding our organization. Um, we actually had a casino night fundraiser, first ever fundraiser that we had for reform the other night. And we actually raised $24 million for our cause which is the largest fundraiser ever for criminal justice reform. And uh, we're trying to bring as much light as we can to reform is uh, just a couple of quick things. Sorry to bore you is um, another great thing about reform is that uh, we have a grant program. Uh, we've given out over a million and a half dollars the last two years to organizations across the country that provide um, reentry services, drug treatment, mental health education uh, to try and help reduce recidivism as much as we can. Um, and then, and then lastly, we also host a bunch of job fairs as well. We've actually helped, connect 6,000 individuals to jobs. Uh, we do them and we've done them in the Brooklyn Nets arena. We've done them um, out in, uh, out actually right here in Philadelphia and then one out West coast too. So and while we may not provide the direct services every single day, we want to do as much as we can to help impact the community. You mentioned getting stuff done in blue States and red States and criminal justice reform, I think is an issue or a topic. It's a broad topic, but it's a topic where you can get a lot of bipartisan support. My background working in the legislature here in Pennsylvania worked for a representative Cheryl Delosier, who's really big with the criminal justice reform movement here in Pennsylvania and probation parole. You know, that was one of the, one of the issues that, that came up when, when I was working for her, uh, but my, my my question is, and it sort of harkens back to, to my experience when I was once sitting in a room and I looked to the left and I saw someone from the Reform Alliance and I looked to my right and I saw someone from Americans for Prosperity, State Chamber, just totally ACLU. I mean, we're talking groups that are usually at, at the very opposite end of an issue argument. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about working with coalitions, uh, including organizations like that in a bipartisan manner? Um, yeah, just curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, um, when you see AFP or American Conservative Union, you know, advocating for a criminal justice bill as a Republican and like gave me a second look like, oh, wait, this is something that actually impacts ev everyone because Probation, it doesn't matter what part of the Commonwealth you're from, it affects your zip code. And so um, we have three major partners that are part of every one of our coalitions, uh, Americans for Prosperity, American Conservative Union, Faith and Freedom Foundation. Um, obviously, we're very thankful for the, the legislative support that we've received bipartisan, uh, but not just Republican and Democrat, but actually the, another beautiful thing about it, it's from different parts of the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, so we may have Representative Delosier from the center part of the state, and we have Representative Harris from Philadelphia, but then we have state senator like Senator Lisa Baker up from Northeast Pennsylvania, you know, uh, we have Senator Street or Haywood. So it's it's something that we're really proud of about how this has been a really bipartisan and, um, effort in the legislature. But <clears throat> about the coalition aspect, you know, you bring up a really good point about how unique criminal justice reform is. Uh, one thing with reform, anytime we ever go into a state, we never go in there and tell them what we're going to do. Uh, we set up coalitions, we set up roundtables because our campaigns really begin on the ground. 
Oh, the really unique thing about our, our coalition is that we meet with probation officers, we meet with law enforcement, we meet with impacted individuals. We want to get as much input from people who've been doing the work for years and the biggest troubles and the biggest hurdles that they've had to encounter and see what we can do um, on the legislative side to fix that. Um, so uh, that's why right now we have the Pennsylvania Safety Coalition. Now we have over 125 organizations that are supporting SB 838. And like you said, we have the Pennsylvania Chamber, we have the Wyoming County Chamber, uh, you know, we have faith leaders, we have the Philadelphia Council of Clergy, um, we have reentry organizations. And so that's one thing that we're also humbled by is not only the support from legislators across the state, but we have groups from all. This is not just an issue that's Harrisburg, Philadelphia, or Pittsburgh. This is an issue that impacts everyone, and we're proud that the coalition uh, reflects that as well. And Cody, what other states do you cover outside of PA? Uh, right now, I have Delaware, New Jersey, New York and Massachusetts. Uh, we've done work previously in New Jersey and New York, and we may be exploring Delaware next year. Are there any issues in those states that you're looking at either in this, what, what's left of this legislative session in 2023? Or are you more more so looking forward to, to next year's sessions? I think for Pennsylvania, obviously, we want to get SB 838 across the finish line here in Pennsylvania. But the other states I mentioned, um, we'll explore those for the next legislative cycle. I know we have not really been too involved in Delaware, uh, but the lieutenant governor has been um, a huge advocate for criminal justice reform and, and something that they want to really champion uh, the next session. And then we've done uh, work in New York. There's a lot of criminal justice advocate, a lot of organizations that advocate for uh, reform there. And so I don't want to say it's easy to get worked on there because it's not, but there's a lot of uh, like-minded people there where in Pennsylvania, it's a little bit more difficult to try and build a coalition of uh, organizations. You met, you mentioned Cody, uh, clean slate 3.0. Can you just dive into that a little bit? I was around uh, for clean slate 1.0 uh, back when I was in the legislature. So just curious to get an update from your perspective on, you know, what does the bill do? I know I've seen some other states, look at clean slate and have adopted their own versions they've expanded upon what pennsylvania initially did a couple of years ago so where do things where do things stand now with pennsylvania clean slate 3.0 yeah what's actually sort of unique that we actually in 2018 i believe when the first uh clean slate 1.0 was passed uh, what's sort of unique about that is we were one of the first states in the entire country to actually do some type of clean slate bill pennsylvania never leads you know so the fact that we were actually a leader on this if issue was uh, really impressive. So as you said, we went to 2.0. Now we're on 3.0. It's my understanding that this bill right now, um, it's going to help automatically seal after 10 years drug felony convictions. Um, I don't know too much beyond that in regards to the details, but what I do know where it stands legislatively, it's um, it passed the House, got through all the committees, it passed the floor of the House, uh, and now it's just sitting in um, the Senate. It's my understanding, I think it's up for second or third consideration once the Senate returns on October 17th. And so the sort of unique thing right now is Clean Slate is sitting in the Senate while our bill, SB 838 probation reform, is sitting in the House. They're both introduced in the opposite chamber. And so it's really going to be the goal of, you know, the trade of like once the Senate passes this one and the House will pass this one, then they'll do a concurrence vote in each. And then hopefully those two bills are signed by Governor Shapiro, um, you know, by the end of the session. Cody, what are some of the ma major <clears throat> issues with our country's current probation and parole uh, system that you think, from your perspective, need to be reformed in particular? See, that's a really good question, because when people think, at least for me anyway, when people think criminal justice system, they think of people who are locked up in jail. 
Uh, but in reality, there's almost 4 million people right now that are involved in the criminal justice system, specifically in probation or parole. Uh, and so that's something that needs to be addressed um, because, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all heard that we need to be tough on crime, tough on crime. But in reality, we also need to be smart on crime. 90% of over 90% of people who are incarcerated right now are actually going to be reentered to society at some point. And so <clears throat> a lot of those people, once they leave um, incarceration, are going to be on some type of supervision. So I think, you know, for a lot of us, it's already hard to get a job, be able to find a job that pays, you know, for gas try to find affordable housing. And so it's even harder for those people who are readjusting back into society. Not only do they have to do all that, they have a record now that employers can find. Um, but specifically with probation and parole, when you're on that, you actually have a list of conditions that you're supposed to adhere to. Um, and that's where what our bill really gets at. Um, so these conditions, they're rules. And some of them, you know, like you can't be around alcohol. Uh, you can't cross county lines. Um, you can't work certain jobs because of the shifts, you know, if you can't work a night shift because a probation officer can't come check in on you. So um, in Pennsylvania, you know, and another thing, too, especially in the USA actually has some of the highest recidivism rates in, across the entire world. And so it's obviously our system is not working. If it was, our recidivism would be much lower. Uh, so uh, but in Pennsylvania specifically about the problem is we actually have the fifth highest amount of people on supervision. Uh, one in every 51 people in Pennsylvania are on some type of supervision. Uh, well, in the country, it's one in every 66. Uh, and, and then one other big issue um, about probation, uh, specifically in Pennsylvania, is we actually spend $330 million a year locking people up for supervision violations. You know, people are like, what's a violation? Like, are they out there committing new crimes? No, a technical violation, actually, it's a non-criminal violation. If you're on probation in Pennsylvania, you live in Chester County and your kids play soccer game in Delaware County, you have to ask for permission. Uh, you can't cross county lines. Uh, we also have had a stories of individuals who have gotten job offers to work in the hospitality industry. Well, they can't because they're around alcohol, you know? And so we have story after story after story of individuals of these conditions and rules. They don't work. If you're late for a meeting with your probation officer, you could technically be incarcerated again. And so we're spending money on locking people up for violations that aren't criminal, that aren't endangering society. And that's something that, that our bill is going to address. I know that's a long-winded answer to what the problem is, but uh, Pennsylvania, we really have a supervision problem. And then more of a procedural question, but it's something that that we see in our role doing you know, this multi-state lobbying, having a background in Pennsylvania politics, working for the Pe Pennsylvania legislature, understand how Pennsylvania operates. And then when you go into another state, you know, you fly into New York or Massachusetts or what have you, what's it been like for you trying to navigate those different states? Because um, every state operates completely differently. Yeah, I feel like Pennsylvania is one of the most unique, you know, like there's there's so many different bills in the legislature that they're good intention bills and they're going to help a lot of people, but they just don't get passed because there's not a trade involved. You know, the trading system in Pennsylvania is so unique, I think it's not, you know, it's not saying it doesn't happen in other states, but in Pennsylvania, it could be, you know, a tax bill that's being held up because of a food stamp bill or something like that. So I think um, another unique thing is like some of the other states that I have, uh, they're pretty they're controlled by Democrats. You know, like New York, you have the trifecta of Dems. New Jersey, you have the trifecta of Dems. Massachusetts, you now have a Democratic governor, previously Republican, the trifecta of Dems. Pennsylvania is so unique with the split legislature, but the problem is it's like it's a one-seat Dem advantage. So in reality, it's you have a Republican Senate, Democrat governor, and you have something that could go either way in the House. So um, for me, I think I've appreciated the, the process a little bit more here in Pennsylvania because of how 
you know, you can't really lose too many votes if you want something done. So, um, but yeah, Pennsylvania is that we've been doing this for five years now. We've had bills in the last couple of years um, come through the legislature, pass 49 to one out of the Senate, you know, 45 out of four, 45 to four. And then the bill gets stuck in Senate and House Judiciary. So unfortunately, we've we've gotten this uh, ring around the rosy a couple of times in Pennsylvania. That's why it's time to actually get it done this year. Yeah, and right now we're recording this on Tuesday, October 10th at two, almost 2.30 here. And the Democrats do have a one-seat majority in the House. So we'll see if if and when that changes uh, due to any potential resignations or what have you. But uh, yeah, as of, as of right now, <laughs> one-seat majority. Isn't that crazy, though? Like, we've had, what, two... We've had two resignations in the last like four months, and then the legislature really doesn't, you know, at 101, 101, we just sort of wait until that special election's done, and then we start working again. Like, that's, it's amazing how much time has just been taken up by a special elections. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely, it absolutely is. I think it's something that's definitely been unique to the Commonwealth over, I'd say, the, the past calendar year, the current calendar year. So, Cody, I'm going to go a little bit off topic now. Uh, you referenced in the beginning native of oh. Iowa. Um, explain to everybody, and I guess maybe more so rather than explain, give your firsthand experience of what the Iowa caucuses are like. Obviously, we're getting to that time only a few months away now. All eyes are really on Iowa, New Hampshire. Uh, other states are talking about moving their primaries up. But if you could really just sort of walk through for everybody what actually being a part of the Iowa caucuses looks like. Absolutely. So the Republican, and the Democratic caucus, they're they're totally different. Um, they both have different procedures, how they operate. Uh, the only one I've ever been involved with was the 2016 Iowa Republican caucus. And so it's interesting, you know, for a primary, you have the opportunity all throughout the day to go cast your ballot. But for the caucus, I had a, uh, my polling location actually was my high school. And you, you go in there, you have to show up, I think it was at six and the voting started at 630. So if you are not off during those times, you can't participate. And so what happened is, uh, you can actually have also have same day voter registration in Iowa. So my brother was um, my brother was, I think, had just turned 18 and could vote. And so he actually registered that same that same night, walked in. It was really neat. They gave us a little piece of paper just like this. And um, we walk in there. And what's really unique is they have they had representatives from every campaign. Each campaign was allotted. I think it was two minutes. Uh, and so we had someone get up there and talk about Huckabee, someone talk about Jeb Bush, uh, to try and persuade you to actually get to vote for their candidate. Uh, we had a special guest that night, actually, Dr. Carson himself showed up and tried to advocate for himself uh, to get, you know, to win our precincts. We were we were in a, uh, a little bit um, middle to higher income area of, of, of a suburb um, of a, a lot of educated voters. And so there's really Marco Rubio's, you know. He came in third that year in Iowa. Yeah. Didn't yeah, he surprise Dr. Carson? I, I thought Marco finished third that Maybe year. Maybe I'm wrong. So I'll get back to, okay, so everyone's given two minutes uh, to speak. And so after that, what they'll do is they will give on your piece of paper, they pass around a pen and you write down who you're going to vote for. They then passed a sandcastle, you know, like the um, the buckets that you build sandcastles in at the beach. They literally yeah. pass that around and said, put your, fold up your paper and put it in there. So they passed around like it was a church offering plate. You put your piece of paper in there. They went then went into the corner. They had like eight people over there counting who voted for who, and then they came back and gave us the results, and then they called wow. them in. And so it's not as fun as the Democratic caucus. Long story short, Democratic caucus, you actually go in there, you can lobby. So I think it was Bernie, um, Bernie Hillary, and then the governor from Maryland that I'm drawing the name of. Uh, trying to Martin O'Malley. Thank you. Yeah. Um, governor O'Malley. You actually stand there, and then they go through different rounds. 
And so my first round, I could be with Hillary Clinton. And then the second round, I could be like, oh, well, Bernie's person just made a good point. And then they can actually pull people over to your side. And so it's actually like you back and forth when the caucus for the Republicans just you write it on a piece of paper and you submit it. So it was so super, Republicans super. don't have the threshold in mm-hmm. the different rounds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not often that uh, Brian and I uh, get to talk to to somebody from my who's who's lived those firsthand. And as much as you read about it, hear about it, um, you know, various news sources and whatnot, it's always good to have the firsthand experience too. Absolutely. So, I, wish they, I wish they would film some of that sometimes just so people, I mean, it's such a good learning experience to see how other states conduct their stuff. They should, they should honestly do a couple of documentaries about it. Well, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk in various states on election integrity and just based on your experience in Iowa, do you think we need to bring the sandcastle uh, toys <laughs> to uh, help count ballots? <laughs> it's, it may take a little bit shorter of a time than the weeks that we have to wait for now. So I'm worth trying anything at this point. So, Cody, last question on my end. Uh, obviously, you mentioned you're a local elected official as well. How does that, if at all, in overlap or how do you sort of balance the two of those different roles between professional and, and obviously your public service as well? Sure. That's a good question. You know, as a township supervisor, people aren't really familiar, you know, what your township supervisor does. Um, but for brief background, what we're in charge of, which we're in charge of funding your police department, your EMS um, another thing we're responsible for is making sure that sewer systems are working, that your toilets are flushing, snow's plowed, uh, your parks are kept clean and nice. So it's really the most local form of government possible. Uh, we, we meet twice a month. There's, our township's a five-member board. Uh, there's really not too much that overlap between my professional and personal. Uh, thankfully, now with the Zoom being the capability, there's been a couple of times where I've been in New York or New Jersey that I'm able to Zoom in at night and participate in our meeting. That's something that we wouldn't have been able to do pre-COVID. Um, nothing really overlaps, but the township supervisor stuff is something that I've all, I feel like I could do another 30 years. I don't think, I don't know how many residents want me to, but I've got a lot of good feedback so far, but, um, uh, it's just, it's so great to be able to, it, this is nerdy, but this is so great to be able to drive by, um, you know, through your, out your neighborhood. And, you know, we just got new recycling bins for the entire township through a grant, you know, it's like the small little stuff that actually impacts people's lives. And it's like, Hey, I played a small part in that. Or, you know, if we get a new park over on the south side of the township like hey you know i played a small role in that so you know hopefully if one day if i have kids and grandkids they can be like hey look at my grandpa or my dad helped with that so it's just really trying to leave a, a an imprint and an impact on on the local community and that's something that i've really enjoyed so far i totally agree with you cody you know local government a lot of people don't pay attention to it everybody's worried about the the iowa caucuses and the presidential race coming up next year but local government impacts you the most and you know, you're seeing it firsthand as a, as an elected township supervisor. So do appreciate, do appreciate what you're doing uh, down there in Southeast PA for your, for all of your constituents. <laughs> all 18,500 of them. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then just one question, one last question on my end, Cody, uh, on episode one, don't know if you listened, but we had, we had our good friend, Jerry Woeswick on from the Pennsylvania School Bus Association. Jerry is from Bucks County. You live in Chester County. Gotta ask you. What's the best cheesesteak place in Philly? Ooh, I'm gonna go with Jim's. I think that's actually what's a way said, better answer than Jerry's. Wasn't that yeah, what Jerry, Jerry said? Jerry said was talking about mayo on a cheesesteak, and I, I don't okay. Know, well, that, if Jerry said that, that I, have a, I have a second underrated place, Sonny's. No, Sonny's is my favorite. That oh, is would it be really? what I would say. Sonny's is the best one. The bread there is fantastic. I think Sonny's is the best one. Yeah. 
I don't know that I would put mayo on it anywhere. Oh, like absolutely. Jerry suggested. Mayo does not does it, mayo does not belong on a cheesesteak. It's been decided. Mayo does not belong <laughs> on a cheesesteak. We'll have to report back, have Jerry on uh, again at some point and tell him the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot him a text after this to hear what, he, what his answer was. There you go. Well, thanks so much, Cody. Do appreciate your time. Uh, and yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Learned a lot about what you do at the Reform Alliance, criminal justice reform, big issue. Uh, so glad you're glad you're working on it. Um, and I'm sure you'll have your hands full as we get into 2024. Cody, where can people yeah, learn think- more about the Reform Alliance? Sure, absolutely. They can uh, just visit our website, reformalliance.com, or they can visit our coalition specifically. It's pasafetycoalition.com. I appreciate the time the guys uh, gave us today. And look forward, hopefully, maybe come back in the future once SB 838 signed by Governor Shapiro. So appreciate your time, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Cody. Cody. And that was our conversation with Cody Bright of the Reform Alliance. Hope you enjoyed listening. We enjoyed having Cody on, having a nice discussion about, you know, his experience uh, at Reform and and all other experiences, including uh, Crudite with Dr. Oz. But uh, another thank you to those of you who tuned in this far and are still listening to us, episode three. I uh, do appreciate you. Uh, any closing words or thoughts, Ryan? No, just appreciate everybody still listening three episodes in. Hope you're enjoying it. We're enjoying doing it. Not sure at what point we ended up becoming an impromptu cheesesteak podcast, but I guess there are worse, uh, worse subtopics to talk about. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> don't, don't forget to follow us on social media. Dwayne Morris Government Strategies and check us out online, dmgs.com. And thanks again. And we're looking forward to the next episode when we will be back in session. Mm-hmm.